Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Well, hi, friends. I am really excited. I say that every time I know, but I honestly am excited every time we hop on and get to talk to someone about their expertise and how they share their knowledge with us. This, uh, we're inviting uh, back on today, Teresa Quadras. Am I saying your last name right? Yes. Thanks, Teresa. Teresa has been on our show before. She's fantastic. I, she and I have met through this podcast work and being in different therapy groups together. And so if you'd like to check her out, she was also on a podcast. It was episode number 14, where we talked about hospice and palliative care and decision-making. She had some great resources. Teresa, you talked about your ARC model, ARC model, which was really a neat thing to learn about. I had fun with that. And then we also supplied a link during that episode to what, what is it called? It's basically an advanced directive for folks that have dementia. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. And that I know is really helpful. I got some feedback from people that appreciated that. So oh, good. yeah. So thank you very much for that episode. And we're going to jump in on a topic today that I'm so excited to cover. But first I want to give a quick intro For Teresa, she's a licensed clinical social worker with 25 years of experience working in healthcare, mostly in palliative care and hospice. She is working part-time as a palliative care social worker, and she has a part-time private psychotherapy practice. And so we were connecting, and Teresa, you had mentioned that you've been doing a lot of work with um, the polyvagal theory. And as you were thinking about it, you were, you were, you told me that you were thinking about how, how, what a neat theory to sort of apply with folks that are caregivers. And so I am so excited to talk about this with you because I too have been thinking in the back of my mind about, Ooh, the nervous system and the sympathetic and parasympathetic state and, and how many caregivers are constantly living in this sympathetic state. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Ah. So maybe to start, would you mind just kind of educating all of us about polyvagal theory? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, polyvagal theory is a theory of how our nervous systems work. And our nervous systems are always, underneath our awareness, scanning the environment to make sure that we're safe. So this is part of our system that evolved for survival, right, to keep us safe. And so it's constantly looking for cues of danger and cues of safety. And this all happens underneath our awareness. And so the polyvagal theory explains how it all works. And it comes from Stephen Porges, who explained all the physiology of it and biochemistry of it and all of that. But a licensed clinical social worker named Deb Dana is the one who brought, she translated polyvagal theory into something that we can understand and work with. And she brought that into the literature for therapists originally. And now she's kind of bringing it out to the larger population. So I I cite her work a lot and I'll talk more about her. And actually I was listening to an interview with her 
And she mentioned that she is a caregiver for her husband. And that's what made me think that, oh, I want to call Laura and tell all of her listeners about this. So the theory, the the piece of it that I really want to share that, that is really helpful to understand about polyvagal theory is that, you know, Laura, you mentioned the sympathetic nervous system. So that's the nervous system reaction that kicks in you know, when there's danger and there's a sense of alarm, right? So it's the fight or flight and sometimes freeze instinct that people are familiar with that term usually and that feeling, that adrenaline rush. Oh, something's wrong. It needs my response. But the parasympathetic nervous system actually in polyvagal theory explains it kind of goes in two different directions. And so we actually have three different nervous system states, And we move up and down through these three states all the time. So picture like a ladder and there are three rungs on the ladder. So maybe if only three rungs, it's a step stool. (laughs) But we're moving up and down through these three different steps. And so when we are calm and we feel safe and unthreatened and we can relax, we are in the ventral vagal state, which is at the top of the ladder. And that's where we feel calm and connected. And when we feel safe and calm and connected, we can tap into other qualities like creativity and compassion and curiosity. And that's how we connect with other people. And we're such social beings that we have this natural drive to be in that ventral vagal state connected with other people. But you have to feel safe to be in that state of your nervous system. So if you're there, but your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system senses a cue of danger, then it's going to bring you into that sympathetic fight or flight. And it can be really subtle. We respond to each other's nervous systems all the time. So right now, if if we're talking and your listeners can't tell, but we're on video, right? So we're looking at each other and we're nodding and smiling and we're having this responding to each other's and feeling connected, right? If you all of a sudden got a call and you were looking at your phone while I was talking, that would be a, a cue of danger. So it, it can be it that subtle. Connect, it would like break the connection. Exactly. Hold. Okay. So, right. so you're mm-hmm. talking, what I hear hearing you say is you're talking about it's not, doesn't have to be an overt threat that happens. It can be mm-hmm. these more subtle cues of disconnect. Exactly. It's a rupture in that connection. Or it could be something larger, like almost getting hit by a bus, you know, any of those things. But it can be as small as, as just, you know, a tone of voice or eye contact shifting. And we pick up on these really, really subtle cues as, as well as the larger ones. So our nervous system is always responding to that. So then if we get cues of danger, then we have this sympathetic nervous response and sympathetic is not used in the way we think of sympathetic. So that's confusing, but think of it as the fight or flight response. You, know, you get that rush of adrenaline, you know, you can feel your body clench, your teeth clench, your shoulders um, or your stomach turns and your palms sweat, like all those types of things. It's like being nervous or agitated or angry. Right? If you, someone really makes you angry, you have that same rush. And so I'm guessing too, that there's a range in there as well. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking already about people that are stressed all the time, as lovers yep. often are, that maybe don't even recognize that they're in a sympathetic state because 
that might be their normal quote baseline. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So just because you're not experiencing that rush doesn't mean that you're not in a sympathetic state. Right. Right. And we're going to come back to that because that's a really, really important piece. So don't let me forget to come back to that, but I want to tell you about the other state is that when we're under threat and we're fighting and fighting and fighting, but we're getting overwhelmed or we're fleeing, we're running away, but the danger is catching up with us, you know, that kind of sense. And that could be, like you're saying, just that everyday stress just gets overwhelming and our nervous system just gets, the system gets overwhelmed and we, we then fall into this lowest rung on the ladder, which is part of the parasympathetic nervous system, but it's a state of disconnection and collapse and immobilization. So those days where you feel so overwhelmed that you just kind of shut down, those that's when you're in that okay. dorsal vagal state. So it's dorsal vagal state. Is that- yes. Okay. Yes. So the top rung is ventral vagal. Okay. And then your sympathetic nervous system can kick in. And then if, if you get overwhelmed by that, then you fall into dorsal vagal. Got it. So we move up and down through these three things it is really all helpful. the time. I'm such a visual learner and I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners are too, but it is helpful to think about that ladder, the rungs on the ladder yeah. going up and down. Yeah. 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 And so it's a continuum, you know, and, and like you said, we can respond to really, really subtle cues and still move up and down, you know, maybe just not even noticeably, not even perceptively, but there's, it's always happening. Our nervous system's always responding. Yeah. It's always paying attention. It pays attention internally. Mm-hmm. and like between another person and like the example, if you start looking at your phone right now, right. And also externally, like if I'm going to about to be hit by a bus. So internally it might be, Oh, my back really hurts. Oh, last time this happened, I had to have surgery and I hope, you know, that kind of, or right. it might be just the thoughts in your head. Like, Oh, I can't believe this is happening again. And that makes you more nervous and you, your nervous system's responding to your inner dialogue. So it's constantly responding to in, inside cues, outside cues, in between cues. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's a really important point. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that too, is what are the, what is the running message that we're telling ourselves when mm-hmm. we have these automatic thoughts? What are those habits? Yeah. And then what is our past experiences? How are our past experiences influencing how we react to stress in our lives today so exactly and if you've had a lot of trauma in your history then your nervous system is trained to respond to a higher level of danger and so it can be like this surveillance system that's just always looking for danger and so you're always kind of activated and so yeah your nervous system is really shaped by your experience over time Mm -hmm. go ahead so going back to what you were saying before you can really get stuck in it's, you, you can't always be in that, you know, bliss state, that calm, connected state. We're not meant to. Our, ner- our other states are there for a reason. But we're meant to be very flexible and be able to move freely. So we respond to a threat. We recognize that we're safe. We can calm right back down. But we can kind of get stuck if we're like constantly under stress or if we have a trauma history or something like that. We get stuck in one state or another. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about are you familiar with Robert Sapolsky? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he he wrote, oh gosh, maybe you can help me with the book. Why, Why zebras don't get ulcers. ulcers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
that's a, I, I didn't read the whole book, but I um, refer to it a lot. Yeah. I got to see him speak at a conference a couple of times, actually. And, oh, what a great speaker he is. But he, he really brought it home, too, in talking about how human beings are the only creatures that are that create stress for ourselves, too. Right, right, right. Most animals on the planet are wired in a way to respond to stress and then discharge that stress and turn it off. But we as human beings, we get stuck in our head mm-hmm. and our thoughts will create these feelings and these responses and how, yeah, it can just turn into this unhealthy cycle. And then of course, when we are living in a high stress state, it's going to directly impact our health. And so mm-hmm. we hear all the time, right? About caregivers who might die before their loved ones do because mm-hmm. stress-related causes, somebody has stroke or a heart attack or... And so this is such important work. I'm just so glad that we're talking about this, Teresa. So tell me a little bit about how do we, what, what do people do with this information? So we Mm kind (laughs) of, we know, we know about this and there's, I know that we could talk a lot more too about getting into the nitty gritty of the science of that, but yeah, how, what can caregivers do or, you know, anybody do especially when they're recognized, like, I know I'm in a high stress state. I know this isn't healthy for myself. I, I've got to get out of this, but when you can't change the situation that you're in, what are some tools that you can apply to help get yourself out of that high stress state all the time? First, just noticing that your nervous system is responding, right? So you're in this situation and it's stressful and maybe you can't change the situation So that's what that is and what's happening in your nervous system. So just starting to be aware of that, just to understand that we have these three states and starting to notice where you are with your nervous system. So just that awareness can help. And then the other piece of that awareness is that every human being goes through this. This is part of being human is having this nervous system that's just responding to things all the time and having to deal with that below our awareness. So it allows us, I think, to have a little bit more compassion for ourselves when we can recognize that like, oh, yeah, this is my sympathetic nervous system kicking in and it's doing that to help me survive. Well, it might be overreacting a little bit to this situation, but its intentions are good and that's how I've gotten where I am. Thank you, nervous system. You know, we can be a little gentler with ourselves, just recognizing this is part of the human experience. Right. Or reframing, right? That Mm -hmm. your body is responding appropriately. Yes. How you're perceiving a situation. And so, yeah. Right. So that's one piece of it. And then, you know, some people get really into kind of making friends or getting to know the three different states. And so I think it's really helpful to spend a little bit of time. I know all you listeners don't have a lot of free time, so you can just kind of do this while you're doing something else. But thinking about that calm, connected state, remember a time when you were just, you know, with a friend talking and you felt safe and comfortable. And what does that feel like in your body? And if you could give it one word, what would that word be? Or if you could imagine it as a color, what would that color be? Or can you find an object in your house that represents that feeling for you? And how does your, how does your body feel in that state? Like, just think about it in any way that you can, visually or somatically, 
what does that state, what represents that state for you? And then when you're agitated, you know, what does that feel like? And what's the word that you want to use for that? Weather is a good way to do it. So if you're in the ventral vagal state, maybe it's a sunny day with a light breeze. And then when you're in your fight or flight, maybe it's fiery thunder and lightning or, and then when you're in the kind of collapsed, disconnected state, maybe it's really foggy and kind of drizzly outside. So get a sense for yourself of each of these three states and, you know, really thinking about time that you were in that state. And then you can just check in with yourself throughout the day. Hmm, Which state am I in? Where am I on the ladder right now? And as you do that, you could even track it. I knew someone who put different colored dots on her calendar and she just had little colors. So just little dots. That's all she had to do is a little dot. Yeah. And quick and simple. Oh, I'm orange right now. You know, so as you start to pay attention to this and get to know the different states and kind of track your process, you can start noticing patterns. Like, are there things that trigger me to fall down the ladder? Are there, Deb Dana calls them glimmers. Are there glimmers that help me pull up the ladder? Where do I spend most of my time? Do I have kind of a default state? And so you start to get to know your own system and how it works. So just bringing that awareness to it and then also the awareness of how our nervous systems co-regulate. So for example, if you've walked into a room, say, and two people are fighting, they're having an argument and you walk in and as soon as they hear you coming, they stop. So you walk in and it's totally silent, but you can feel that tension, right? So your nervous system is responding to their nervous systems. Mm-hmm. So if you, for a caregiver, right, the person you're caring for, their nervous system is responding to your nervous system and vice versa. So when they're agitated, you're going to get more agitated. But if you can calm down, they're going to calm down. So we're constantly co-regulating with each other. You know what I think you've just done? <laughs> I'm laughing what? at myself here. I always talk about, because there's no word, I haven't, I don't know the research behind it. I don't know the word behind it, but I've always said that as people's memories decline, it's almost like their spidey senses go up, right? Yeah, yeah. So they are going to respond to the environment way more than, than we might do, or we may know, notice that we're doing. And this makes so much sense that there, would you say, I mean, there's a possibility, I'm using air quotes here, that people with memory impairment may have a more heightened sense of like that they're, what would you call it? Their polyvagal systems are on more high alert or they're, they're aware of the environment better. They're aware of, but again, all of this is happening on an unconscious, subconscious level, right? Right. You know, that would be really fascinating to see if there's any research on that. Um, we'll have to do. We'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> but what I would imagine is, you know, we spend a lot of our time processing information in our, you know, intellectually, like, and you know, we might feel unsafe somewhere, but but intellectually, we're processing and saying, oh, actually, this is we're in our consciousness. Yes, we are tapped into. Yeah, and so maybe if we are for people who have more memory loss who are not able to kind of filter the situations through their memories to say, oh, actually, this is safe. You know, maybe 
it's not that their nervous systems are more attuned, but maybe there's just less filter. And so they're, they're having more direct experience of what their nervous system is telling them. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. No, I know. It's, it's just something that you know, we all see and we all notice. So it's mm-hmm. fun to talk about this stuff. And But the real point of all of it, whether it's heightened or it's not, or just unfiltered, is that folks are going to respond, that all of us do, no matter if we have memory problems or not, is that we're responding to each other and we're responding to the environment. So what you're saying, which is really important, is that as a caregiver, recognizing that you can kind of, quote, control the environment by controlling your own, and control probably isn't the right word, but managing or or monitoring your own sense of where we're at on the ladder rung is going Mm -hmm. to have a direct impact and influence on the folks that we're caring for. Right. Absolutely. And what you said is important. It's not controlling so much is... Um, Deb Dana talks about befriending your nervous system, right? And so if you're like, oh no, I'm in fight or flight and you start fighting your nervous system, that's just going to make it worse, right? So so what you want to do is once you notice that you're agitated or you're in, you're in a pattern of protection. So if you're in either of the two lower rungs, it's a pattern of protection. So either one of those things you can notice, oh, okay, I'm responding my nervous system is responding. And then you can name, now that you know about this, you can name where you are in the ladder. So you notice it, you name it. And then you also want to actually recognize that your nervous system is, everything it does is in support of your survival, right? So you can kind of take a step back and appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And be curious about, okay, what are the cues of danger? Am I really in danger? Am I responding to an old message of what's dangerous? Or is this really a dangerous situation? And so start to see what is your nervous system trying to communicate to you? So you don't want to fight against it, but you want to, if you pay attention to it and recognize it, then you're going to naturally start to regulate, unless you actually are in danger, you know. But if you're not, then just by recognizing this process and kind of appreciating it's a natural human process, you're naturally going to start regulating your system. I love that perspective so much. Thank you so much for highlighting that because it is, I think people's natural reaction is, oh, shoot, here I am again. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the negative resistance, right? What we resist persists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To to reframe that into, yes, this is, thank you for helping me. (laughs) Thank you Mm -hmm. for responding in this way. I'm checking in with myself now. I'm realizing I'm really not in danger. Like I, you know, my body may have been perceiving. And so can I ask a quick question too, just really fine tune some of these tools. What is the best way to check in with yourself? I mean, we can kind of say, okay, notice how you're feeling or notice the thoughts. Is there like, if we really dissected that, if you're in a moment, let's just say somebody gets a phone call from a family member that, you know, maybe that family member is berating the decision you made or a choice that you've of something that you've done. And, uh, and you have a reaction to that. Can you walk us through just again, dissecting the the pieces, what, how a person might 
check in with themselves and how, how this person might move from the different rungs of this ladder. Okay, sure. When you're in that, that elevated state or the agitated state where you're actually reacting to that difficult phone call, it's hard to remember to check in with yourself, right? So that's the first thing is just remembering. And so having some visual cues might be helpful. Like if there is, I don't know, you could even like have sticky notes <laughs> or I don't know, something, if you just get used to paying attention to it when you're not agitated, then it's easier to kind of remember to check in with yourself. So the first thing is just remembering that you have a nervous system that's responding. Then once you do that, I think the fastest, easiest way to really check in is somatically. So what's your physical experience? So as soon as you notice, oh my gosh, that was such a hard conversation and I feel like I'm so angry right now. If you check in with your body, how do I feel this in my body? Oh, I can feel myself clenching my jaw. I can feel my, my shoulders tighten. You know, you check, or if you're just so overwhelmed by all that, that you just feel so heavy and disconnected and you're almost disembodied and you can't concentrate. You're all foggy and you feel, you know, immobilized almost. You have that felt experience of it. So I think that's the quickest, easiest way. It's just check in with your body because your body knows your body, your nervous system is, is telling your body what to do. And so your body can give you all of the clues and honestly, just bringing mindful awareness to what's happening in your body. It shifts the energy to a different part of your brain. The part that checks in with your body is different than the alarm system. And so already you're calming yourself down just by checking with your body and then being able to just kind of be with that. Oh, okay. So having a little bit of mindfulness and being with those sensations will help you regulate even further. Love it. That is really helpful. And I know that can sound simple, but it's huge, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in it. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for just kind of calling that out, walking through those steps too. And I like what you said too, that the more you do that, the more it's going to become a habit to do that when mm -hmm. you are in those high stress states. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's the trick. It's just to remember to, to do that. And then I guess as a caregiver, I, what you want to be thinking about is you can start to notice the person you're caring for, start to notice the signs of what state they're in. And once you're kind of aware of this, you can tell just by your own, your nervous system responding to theirs, but also they'll give you cues. And you can, if you can kind of regulate your own nervous system, that will help regulate theirs, like I mentioned. And so even like if I'm talking to you like this and I'm kind of talking fast and my voice is going up, you can feel in your nervous system, right? That you start to respond to that. And if I slow down and lower my voice a little bit and slow down the pace a little bit, can you kind of feel that in your nervous system? It shifts a little bit, right? And so you can start paying attention to that interplay between your nervous systems. And that can give you a lot of tools to start noticing, oh, what helps them calm down? Oh, I see. And then it also helps you respond less because instead of having that negative response, oh, this is so frustrating, say, oh, their nervous system is responding and I know how to calm it down and everything's okay. <laughs> how important. I mean, that's such important information because we, 
families can feel so helpless when their loved ones are agitated or in a high stress state or experiencing anxiety and, and the helplessness comes with just not knowing how to help or what to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we hear a lot about the power of presence and Mm -hmm. just being, being present with someone. And I think that this takes it that notch further of, yes, it's important to be with someone, hold the space, then you can, you can actively be doing something too, which Mm -hmm. is by regulating your own nervous system, you're helping them. Um, you're actively helping their nervous system, whether whether you're conscious of it or not. <laughs> right. Our bodies are communicating. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And that feeling of helplessness is what sends you down into that collapse, right? That dorsal vagal disconnective place. And so having something that you can kind of do in those situations help you, helps you feel less helpless. And so that in of itself helps you regulate your nervous system. You know, something else that comes up that I hear a lot too is, and I can see that this is just validating. I'll have family members, caregivers tell me, I feel so guilty. Like, why should I be happy or calm or okay? uh, If my loved one isn't like, it's hard for me to get into that state. If they're not like, you know, whatever that comes with that. I don't deserve that. Or I I feel like I'm isolating, quote, leaving them in a way when I'm okay and they're not. So what I'm really hearing you say, again, just to overemphasize this, is that, you know, we hear that term all the time. You've got to put the oxygen on yourself first before you can help Mm -hmm. someone else. And this this is not only just helping yourself, but this really is directly going to have an impact on your loved one. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I think I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're right. All of the things that we talk to caregivers about, about self-care and respite and getting a break and doing things to take care of yourself. We talk about that so much. And this is a really good example of why that's important and not selfish because it is such a benefit to the person you're caring for and the people around you for you to be able to be in your best self with your most flexible nervous system. And if you can't live your fullest life under the circumstances, then that's only going to agitate your nervous system more, which is good. So it's the spiral effect in either way, either direction. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Yeah. So whether you're framing it as self-care for you or or caring for your loved one. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, because yeah, we're so interconnected. We're so interconnected. Yeah. This is such a good conversation. I am I'm just really grateful. And I'm definitely going to be doing some more research on my own in this area too. Great, is there anything great. else? Yeah. Tell is there anything else that you think would be really helpful to know about polyvagal theory for caregivers? I think the one last thing that I want to highlight, I think is the idea of ventral vagal anchors. And this is when you start to notice those glimmers that bring you up the ladder and you start to notice or remember what it's like to be in that ventral vagal state. Like, What could be your anchors? Like, 
So if you start thinking about who are the people who help me get into that ventral vagal state, or what are the places that help me, or are there certain times of day where I feel more calm and connected? Just finding, recognizing, naming those things that help you regulate your nervous system, right? And being really aware of those. important. Yeah. 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 Um, external cues for yourself or internal, if it's a yeah. memory of a time or a place or, you know, one of the things that I did years ago was um, one of my anchors was I would hold my hand. So when I started to get nervous, I would imagine my my higher self and my little scared self, and I would hold my hand. And so yeah. a little, it's become kind of a unconscious cue of mine now that I will do, but little things like, again, holding hand or associating a color, mm-hmm. uh, a certain sound. I, I like the idea of bringing in the senses, um, yeah. the, the visual or audio or. Yeah. You could have like a whole ventral vagal party bag, right? So you have something visual that helps you calm down and maybe a scent that helps you calm down and, you know, something for all of your senses, maybe a really soft piece of cloth. So that's one way to do it. And then maybe, you know, maybe your most calm and connected memories are when you are out in nature and maybe now you don't have time to go for a hike on weekends or whatever. So maybe your favorite place to hike had bay trees. And so maybe you can have a bay leaf around and just smelling that bay leaf could help calm you down. Right. Yeah. Right. So be creative and use your senses and find those ventral vagal anchors that can help you help remind you and connect you back to that state. And remember, we're not supposed to be in that state all the time, but our goal is to be able to regulate out of those patterns of protection when we don't need them and back into that calmer state. And so just practicing that gives you more and more flexibility. I love it. Yeah. Going back to Robert Sapolsky's talk in that the creatures of the planet are, are, they're going in and out of these states but they're not remaining in one for years. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I, thanks for highlighting that point because I think that, you know, our society, our culture, especially women, you know, we're, we're, we have high expectations of ourselves that if we're not doing it right, we're doing it wrong. Or, you know, there's one way to do this and we can get so down on ourselves with, with all the responsibilities that we have and, and men too. I don't mean to just um, say that's a women's problem issue, but, but recognizing that we are going to go in and out, We're, we are going to go up and down the ladder. And so first, I'm going to go back to your points mm-hmm. here. The first thing that we're is to notice it, right? The, to notice, are we spending more time in one state over another? Just having awareness. And I love your point of when you have awareness, just the awareness in and of itself is bringing you out of that state. Mm-hmm. And then what else did you say? Paying attention to being gentle with yourself, that we are human beings and that is a normal process for us to do. You talked about having a visual cue or something that an anchor, if you will, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that is remembering a time or a place where you felt a certain way or connecting it to a physical object or color or 
And then recognizing that what you are cultivating within is going to have an impact on the people that you're around, including your, your loved one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can add one more thing. Yeah, please do. Now, now that you're going through that, I thought of a really important one, which is Deb Dana says story follows state. And so our nervous system, we're in this nervous system state, whatever it is. And then as we become aware of it, we start telling stories about it, right? Like, oh, I'm not doing enough, or I can never get a break, or whatever, whatever the narrative is that you're adding on to that. And then when you stop and you recognize, oh, this is a nervous system state, and this is what's helping me, you know, stay safe, and recognizing that maybe I can create a new story. Mm. And so it opens up, I think, that opportunity instead of just reacting to things to kind of create a new story and a new response. And so it just kind of gives you a little more window to make choices about how you I like engage. that. And when, you, when you're in that state, you really, yeah, you get to choose that. Yeah. You're not just reacting or responding. Right. And then the other point that I'd love to bring up too is, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on like Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. Oh, with, yeah. And he talks so much about how to create new neural pathways. And mm-hmm. so this is beautiful work that is leading you to maybe not react the way that you once had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you a lot more freedom to become the person that you want to become or to live the life that you want to live or to respond yes. to situations in a way that you choose, not your body just, you know, reacting. So this mm-hmm. is a great conversation, Teresa. I'm so happy that you came on to talk about this. Thank you. My pleasure. You mentioned a couple names. You mentioned Deb Dana mm-hmm. and um, Stephen Porges. How else can yeah, folks tell us a little about how they could learn a little more about polyvagal theory? Yeah. Well, if you want the real science behind it, you need to go to Stephen Porges. But if you want to just understand how to work with it, then Deb Dana is I feel like a walking advertisement for Deb Dana because <laughs> she's she's really the the just the leader in bringing this work out into the world. It. She's yes, she's translating. Well. And she's a caregiver. That's really yes, cool. yes. Yeah. So she had two things, three things that I can give you to learn more about her work. One is her website is rhythmofregulation.org, I think. Okay. And she, I just coincidentally, a friend of mine just this morning sent me a link and said, oh, this made me think of you. And it's a link to a six part, can't remember what they called it. Oh, a transformation lab. That's what they call it. A six part video transformation lab by Deb Dana through Sounds True. Oh, wow. Soundstrue.com. And so I just ran across that this morning, serendipitously. And I think it's $79 for six different video things. And then lastly, she now has a book out called Anchored. And it it has a longer subtitle that I can't be friending your nervous system through polyvagal theory or something like that, but Anchored. 
we're talking about the anchors and that's, that's where that comes from. So I would really recommend if you're interested in learning more, looking into her work. You also see clients yourself, right? And so somebody wanted to reach out to you to do some of this work or to just get more information about yourself, how -hmm. would they, how would they contact you? I work with clients in California because I'm licensed in the state of California and I do a lot of work with caregivers and my website is TeresaQuadras.com. And And I'll I'll make sure I have these uh, in the show notes too. Great. Great. And I wrote, I recently wrote a blog about polyvagal theory, which by the time this drops will be posted on there. So and that's got some links to Deb Dana's work too. So that would be another place to start to learn more. Fantastic. Teresa, thank you so much. I just really appreciate how you have taken what I have always perceived as this really complex, complicated theory mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, made it so easy to understand. Like I said, I know a little bit about the sympathetic and parasympathetic state, but I love this ladder analogy and um, the way you describe the three different states, which is super helpful. And and then, of course, your tips were um, are very useful. I mean, I I can say that I I use them. The, the awareness piece is so important, but this just gives people hope, I think, and, mm-hmm. and it normalizes our experience that reacting and responding in the ways that we do is perfectly normal and that we we don't have to always be sort of a quote victim to those reactions and responses too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for creating a place to share this with your with your listeners. And I hope that it, some of this is helpful. because um, I know caregiving is is really difficult. And so all the any little bit that we can take to kind of make it a little easier. It's, it's great. So I hope that this is useful for people. And thanks for the opportunity. I love, I love talking about this. Great. So appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to hello at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.